Greetings and welcome back to another episode of Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. If you would like to engage the show, feel free to reach me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, last week I viewed three projects in the mining state of Nevada. One of those projects was uh, of Silver One Resources, a sponsor of this show. I'm going to put a link in the show description below if you haven't already seen that site tour video. It's about 30 minutes long, and it really uh, takes you along with me as I toured that project, and you get to hear from Greg Crow, the president and CEO, as well as Raul Diaz, who is uh, the VP of Exploration and also a director of Silver One, and you get to see that project in an come to understand it the way I did through going on that tour. And then I also viewed two projects on the Carlin and the Cortez trend that belong to uh, U.S. Gold Corp. And along with me on this tour was Bernie DeGroote. He is in the U.S. a registered representative and in Canada an investment advisor, a broker with Canaccord. And I do use Bernie services for my full service uh, brokerage account, I should say that as well. I asked Bernie uh, after we got to know each other more and chat on that tour. I asked him to come on the show this week to share with my listeners uh, his approach to and experience in the junior mining sector. With that being said, Bernie, welcome to Mining Stock Education. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Yes. So you, as I got to know your story more as we spent time together last week, you've been investing in uh, mining stocks for quite some time. Uh, But how did your journey into mining stock investing come about originally? Well, I've got a brother, Marcel, who's in the mining space, and I was a passive investor in some of the uh, opportunities that arose in his role in the space, and then it just sort of grew from there. Okay, so you owned a distribution business as well, and then about a decade or so, uh, you decided to move into you know the brokerage end of the business. What was the catalyst? What prompted that movement? Well, I started that licensed distribution business in university back in 92. And after after watching for, say, running that for about 20 plus years and just watching the passive investing just grow, grow and seeing the opportunities to take something from a regional distribution from my licensed business into a global space in the mining, I was, became quite intrigued by the network that I was establishing in the business as well as the opportunities that arose. So it just after doing something for 25 years, it just seemed like a nice, fresh opportunity to provide uh, services for what was building through uh, the different networks I was getting established in. Was there a certain niche or a solution that you thought you could bring to the industry as well? The one thing that I really wanted to do, Bill, was just really get comprehensive understanding of the, the ins and outs and the nuances of the brokerage side of things in terms of investing, getting in, getting out, the different nuances of what U.S. guys have to go through versus Canadian guys. So I saw an opportunity to assist both corporations, resource funds, uh, mining executives with that role, and the opportunity arose, and I just thought it was a really good fit, good timing for me as well. And from a business perspective, as you mentioned, you were well-connected at that point. You weren't a 22-year-old just graduating from college. No, absolutely. I'd love to be 22 years old again, but uh, (laughs) I'm not there right now. But, you know, you learn through the school of hard knocks. And I think the best lessons are as an investor, when you've got some skin in the game, you 
you learn the less or the hard lessons yourself and uh, the key is to learn from them in the u.s as i mentioned in the introduction you are a registered representative but in canada you are an investment advisor and can present potential deals or investment opportunities to your clients so when you're surveying the potential junior mining investments or uh, speculative opportunities what do you look for before you present such an opportunity to your clients well it's a very good question bill one of the first things i look for is people like you want to look at people in terms of integrity, have they been there before, what's their track record, what's their history. Then you also want to look at the commodity you're looking at. Like right now, precious metals is uh, very, very, uh, it's, it's good timing to be in that space. So you want to look at your people, your product, your place, your price, your promotion. So you want to just sort of check those boxes all, all the way down. Geography, you want to make sure you get into some stable areas or at least understand the risk profile of those countries. And the key is, that risk profile changes over time. So you look at Canada here, for example, the challenges we have with the pipeline. So a lot of people have historical perspectives on geopolitical risk that needs to be updated, that's for sure. Are there any um, uh, jurisdictions or areas of the world that you just say, I won't even go there? Like the stands or Russia, something like that? Yeah, there, there's definitely some territories like where the, where the rule of law is not clear, I think you want to be very, very careful because if you're going to lose your asset or you're in danger of losing your asset, you want to be very careful and probably stay away from that. What's your perspective on South America as a jurisdiction? I believe you were there recently on a site tour. Yes, I went on the, on the site tours down in Brazil, going to see Arizona and Equinox and uh, also seeing some of the Leo Gold and uh, seeing Great Panther. And the the geology on there is phenomenal. And some of the the political profiles change because the political atmosphere is, is I think it's more volatile in terms of transitioning than it is up here, but there's the, you can't discount the geology that's down there. It's very, very rich uh, continent, that's for sure. You also help with IPOs. How many IPOs would you say you're involved with uh, on an annual basis? It's, it's hard to put a number on that bill because when the market comes in, the, the groups get more active, but I would say there's typically four or five that I'm, I'm working with, but uh, it's at different levels of involvement. Generally speaking, for a retail audience that may not be the uh, accredited investors, what would be some key things that uh, the general audience should know about IPOs specifically at this time in the market? I think you want to be careful of warrants. A lot of people reach out and just want to participate in warrants, especially uh, U.S. residents. And I always try and exercise caution because until the market really starts to move along, a lot of these warrants expire worthless. I can't remember what this, the stat is. I'm hearing anywhere from 80 to 85%. So I always encourage clients to just really look at the company from a perspective. And if there's a warrant offered, that's great, but don't just participate in a financing because there's a warrant, because most warrants, unless the market is moving, do expire worthless. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. 
Osino Trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. For those accredited investors, what would be some of the key characteristics of an IPO to where you would get excited about it and want to present that to your uh, people that use your services? Again, what I've, I'm really fortunate to have a really strong network of uh, really successful, um, experienced people in the mining space, working with resource funds, mining executives, corporate accounts, and it gives me an opportunity to get some really high quality deal flow. And betting on someone to succeed again and again is something that's enticing versus trying to have someone try something for a first time in a jurisdiction where sometimes they get in over their head. When you look at a lot of these mines that kind of come into production quite often, it's not the first set of hands that touch something that end up taking into production. I'm a U.S. investor, as you are well aware. What are some key things that U.S. investors should know if they want to invest on the Toronto Venture Exchange, maybe through a Canadian broker and not through on the OTC here in the States through their own discount broker? What would be some key things that U.S. investors should know? It's interesting you bring that up, Bill, because I'm getting more inflow from U.S. residents just because a lot of the other providers in the States, whether it's U.S., uh, sorry, Schwab or Merrill or whoever, it seems like the appetite for the U.S. institutions to participate in junior mining is waning and they're no longer allowing their clients to participate. So I've got a lot of inflow on that. But you really want to look at certain things, like for example, with when you're participating in a finance and you want to make sure you're taking a physical certificate versus a DRS, because even though the communication between the transfer agent and the issuer isn't always clear because they're always trying to go digital, digital, but when you look at the legend removal process, we as a firm have to have possession of the securities throughout the whole legend removal process. And that isn't allowed when you're doing digital because you could imagine I could send my DRS statement out to several different institutions and whoever tries to capture it first gets it. So if we had a DRS and we're trying to get a legend removal done on electronic, we may not actually have possession of those shares versus with a physical cert that doesn't come up. So those are little nuances you want to be careful of because if you get a DRS, we can't take a legend off it. So then you have to go back to the issuer who has to go back to the transfer agent or you have to go back to the transfer agent and then get an actual physical cert in order to look at legend removal. And the timing of that, the, the bureaucracy and administration is getting longer and longer. So the the onion is getting bigger, not smaller, unfortunately. And that what you just described... Um, that pertains more to accredited investors that are participating in the placements rather than buying in the open market. Correct. Correct. Uh, as you have been in these markets for decades, if you could change something about the junior mining sector, uh, what would it be? Whether it's from a regulatory standpoint, how companies operate, or even the expectation of investors? I think on a couple levels, number one, it would be nice if there were less choices for investors because there's a lot of companies that aren't necessarily going to end up resulting in positive gains for client, for investors. And it's tough for investors when you start to look at the sheer number of mining names out there to start to differentiate one from another if it's a part-time position. Like if you're trying to work a full-time job and also do due diligence and 
go on site visits, interview the mining teams, the mining executives, et cetera, et cetera, to see what you really have to do. Because the mining game is a long game. If you look at from whence a discovery hole is made till it actually comes into production, I mean, you're looking at typically an eight to 10 year window. And I think a lot of times investors come in and they think they have the risk profile for investing, but the reality comes in that, hey, when they've been investing for a while, that their perceived risk profile doesn't meet their actual risk profile. You've got to be able to ride the ups and downs because nothing is linear in terms of a market. But right now where we are looking at the, the stage of the commodity game or commodity cycle, it looks, or the economic cycle, this is where commodities tend to move well. And if you look at what the precious metals have done thus far this year, it's been pretty strong. From a regulatory standpoint, if you could make a couple suggestions to the regulatory bodies and they would listen to you, what would be some of your key suggestions? I, I think it would be nice to have a little more tighter governance on some of the things that's happened in the, the junior space. Um, there are some things that we've seen some of the, the issues that have arose that have destroyed investor capital. And it would be nice if there was actually some teeth to the monitoring of activities within the, the space if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I think that's one of the arguments, at least from the U.S. side of the border, that I've heard from people is they don't feel that some of the Canadian uh, regulatory bodies uh, do a good enough job with that. Agreed. So uh, when you're looking at new resource investors and observing um, how they are entering this sector with their investments, especially if we're truly in a gold and a commodity boom, there's going to be a lot of new investors coming into the sector. What would you advise regarding some of the most common pitfalls and mistakes that you've seen from newer resource investors? A couple of things. And one I would exercise or, or I would advise to exercise is caution and patience because a lot of people want to step into a space and let's say they want to deploy say $100,000 and they feel that they have to automatically deploy it to get in. I think patience and waiting for the right team and the right deal and the right asset and the right opportunity will lead to better results versus saying, okay, I'm going to step in on November 1st and I'm going to build a portfolio that day. I think patience and caution and just do some good diligence and, and get second, third, and fourth opinions. You want to have the pros and the cons because every opportunity has that. And the one thing you never want to do is get pressured into participation. So I think you're speaking to emotions, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. Emotional intelligence. And then also a network like you developed where you're bouncing these ideas off of people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a fantastic, unique opportunity because my clients who are, you know, geologists, executives, et cetera, when I see the deal flow going back and forth, the opportunities to hey have someone have a second, third, and fourth set of geological opinions on something is, is, is invaluable to me because if the the ounces or the pounds aren't in the ground, then we really don't have anything to look at. So geology is just critical. When you are seeing that deal flow and you're talking to your clients, I know when we were on the tour, you were talking to your clients, even as you're visiting uh, projects at 9,000 feet. Uh, what's some of the feedback, general feedback that you can share with my listeners about what you're getting, both from issuers and your clients? I, I think right now there's a bit of tepidation in the sense that there, there seems to be a uncertainty with where where's the market going because we're really in unsettled times when you're looking at negative interest rates you look at negative mortgage rates you're looking at lots of economic issues or the cans that keep getting kicked down the road they keep getting bigger and bigger 
and all these black swans that are around. And it's almost as if people have become complacent or accepting that. But if you learn from history and you look at Ray Dalio's Paradigm Shift, which is a wonderful piece, and I'd encourage everyone to read it, it's 12 or 13 pages, but it's just invaluable. And where people just get overcommitted to a trade. Like if you look at this S&P run where it's gone for, say, 10 years, unprecedented. Well, if you start to revert back to what history does and learn from history, then I think it's a really good um, measuring tool for yourself. And your expectations for the next couple of years, Bernie, uh, when it comes to mining stock investing are pretty positive? For the for the precious metals, for sure. And I'm very, very bullish on things like copper because if you look at the nice piece for mining is, or the, the from an investing perspective is, there hasn't been any disruptive technology. So if you look at oil and gas where they've had fracking and horizontal drilling, now they're getting more prolific yields than ever before. Whereas with mining, you look, it's getting tougher and tougher. It's tough to find outcrops and the grades are dropping, discoveries are dropping, so it's getting more and more challenging. So you're almost getting to the inflection point where if the price of these commodities don't move up, the world's going to have to do without it. And if you look at the, the green movement, I just look at things like copper where you know 0.4 and 0.5% copper is, is world-class grade now. The lack of discoveries and the, the tougher opportunities to put mines into production, uh, I, I, I'm really bullish on the uh, commodities long-term. Short term is really, really tough, but long term looks really good. So what stage of development? I know you invest in all different stage of development companies, but at the junior mining level, is there a particular stage of development that you prefer personally? It, it, it's tough. I mean, you, you want to look at where you are in the mining cycle. <clears throat> if if we're full on bull market, well, then quite often you're just looking for good teams with good oper- with good projects and good jurisdictions. But otherwise, you want to be a little more, I think you want to be a little more, you want to be careful where you are in the cycle, because if you're continually having to raise cash, you want ac- access to capital, I think is the toughest thing for issuers right now. And that's where you, you get the right team, you get the right project and the money follows guys. And when the, the mainstream comes in, then it lifts all boats. But right now we're not there yet. Well, Bernie, thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for the interview. Otis Gold Corp. is a gold development and exploration company with quality projects in the pro-mining state of Idaho. Otis's flagship Kilgore project has a resource of 961,000 gold ounces, and its recently published preliminary economic assessment demonstrated an impressive post-tax IRR of 53% at $1,500 gold. In addition to the significant expansion potential at Kilgore, Otis is exploring its highly prospective Oakley project. This Carlin-type gold deposit already has an inferred resource in previous near-surface drilling intersection at 123 meters of 0.69 grams per ton gold. Otis Gold Corp. trades in New York under the ticker OGLDF and in Toronto under the ticker OOO. That's triple O. To learn more, go to otisgold.com. That's otisgold.com. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.